Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, October 30th, 2022. Hey, everybody. I'm John Vanveld. I'm the executive pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi there. I'm Simone Halpin, executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Good Happy morning. Halloween. Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> you guys didn't have to dress up. I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> You're so spooky. Nice looking. costume, man. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going as a worship pastor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt. So Matt and I live in the same neighborhood. Uh, my wife has purchased the coolest Halloween treat for your boys. Oh, they, she, you know what? She is so pumped. She does it every year, and it's amazing. Her kindness is really surprising to me. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. It's just your kids are going to be pumped. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Batteries? No. <laughs> Got lug batteries around? No. Juice boxes? The here's, guy that hands out juice boxes? No, I'm telling you. I'm not going to ruin it. Here's three passes to come and mow my lawn. <laughs> Each of you get three of them, so there's actually nine. No. Just... That's awesome. I think she had to order this. Like, I don't know where she'd buy it. Really oh, thoughtful. All right. all right. Can't wait to hear what it is. No. We can wait till next week. Uh-huh. <laughs> going to hand out king-size candy bars? Be a hero? You know what? Everybody's favorite so, neighbor? I, first of all, Simone and I were talking about this. Um, it starts really early. Yeah. Like we have to leave uh-huh. work to get it to get home for the kids. It's all part of the coddling of the American child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Like, well, it, man, dude, when we, we were doing Halloween. I remember, when does my, it start? Ooh, like I remember my parents well, saying, "You can't go out till it's dark." <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. No, 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 no. It's not time yet. You gotta wait till it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> I think technically it's four. <laughs> now go they, and sprint around. It's kind of like weird. It, they start showing up as early as 3.30. And there was a thing Saturday. Yes, downtown Wheaton. And then a whole bunch of people were, I heard town, suburban towns trying to make trick-or-treating happen on Sunday so that their yeah. kids don't day. have to do it and, on a school night yeah. or whatever. Well, Sunday's like, still a school night. Yeah. And back in the day, there were no premium costumes. There were no dads making transformer costumes that actually transform it was it was the cloth and the plastic with the band around the back and it would cut into your That's face right it was. i was i had king kong one year i still remember it and that was probably six or seven and it was king kong and it was just black hot woolly yeah. outfit and with the mat with the plastic mask cutting sweat. into my face and you're hammering you're hammering candy just to keep yourself oh, going you're just like yeah but yeah, it's probably so, eight or nine o'clock, and I'm just outside running. Yeah, you know, just sprinting. You yeah. want to hear the dysfunction in my home? Of course we do. So <laughs> no, next. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me talk about my dysfunction. So Sherry purchases the Halloween candy and then hides it. Oh yeah. So I won't eat it. <laughs> she knows. So I know it's in the house somewhere, and I cannot find we, it. We do the same thing for our kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think Halloween is accentuated in the Midwest. Like I grew up in yeah. the South in Texas. We celebrated it in the but Midwest it's next level here. Is it really is specifically there a here? Yeah. I, I feel like this area is even I more mean the than... amount of adult Halloween parties, yeah. Yeah. the decorations, the closing down the streets for trick or treat. I mean it yeah. feels next level. Do you remember during COVID and all the candy would come down shoots like so you wouldn't go into people's yards? Do you know? <laughs> what neighborhood do you live in? <laughs> 
North, Wheaton. <laughs> I mean, ours was brought on drones. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't we, were, we were throwing candy at children there back in throwing, COVID. There was throwing, but then uh, there was definitely P- PVC pipes coming out of people's front. Oh, my front. You gosh. don't remember that? No. No, I didn't. Oh, well. I actually don't go around. Do you go around? Simone? I have four children. Of yeah. course I go around. <laughs> Lots of walking. So yesterday was uh, an exciting day at GBC. We were packed, 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 packed. Uh, Second service especially. Um, Both services were great. Yeah. What was the head Uh, count in the building? Do we know yet? um, Like for the whole day, I don't know. But the total number of souls (laughs) on board. I don't know. I don't. I haven't looked to see what children's ministry was, but we had about three hundred and fifty in the second service alone j- just in the in the worship center and in an overflow yeah. so awesome it was Did, fun and people sang yeah, that, that's what's fun loud, they sang man. in the overflow yay go overflow really yeah they were singing it that's out that's impressive yeah i didn't know people were back there and then i heard you know these people most, singing i was like oh okay i love uh, volume matters let's it matters that people open their mouths and sing out it matters doggone it but you know what's been really fun lately, and I also think is the um, I don't know what to call it the hooping the oh the, yeah the exclamation the verbal yeah, exclamation points the, the the clapping I don't know that guy yeah I love it the only I do too so Jim Boynton's in the balcony second service single handedly steering the worship service from the balcony <laughs> yep. with her outcries yep. I often say she is uh, the worship leader's worship leader. Yeah, she's a butt kicker. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, number one, I mean, just, just like, first and foremost, it just helps the worship leaders. It's encouraging to the worship leaders to see people yeah, let's responding, go. Right. you know, in that way. It's just an extra, you know, it's Sunday morning, some of us are tired, you know, like, it takes a while to kind of... Rev up. Yeah, and so I think that just, that's just pedal to the metal, man. You're called a prayer... Two, second service yesterday was so powerful. Um, I almost wish you would do that every Sunday. I'm sure it was I may start. in the I may yeah. start. I yeah. so I was the only person who went forward for prayer in first hour. <laughs> and I went for <laughs> <laughs> now we know why second service got the call that did. Yeah. yeah. So and I mean I don't it, again encouraging, like you said as someone singing and worshiping after the service, seeing a line form. Yeah. I almost jumped out, but I real I saw that you people should jump I out. saw I, it was cared for. Yeah. I didn't need to. But anyway, I um anyway, I just that was encouraging. That also is like to see that visual of people acknowledging their need for prayer. It just was really powerful. And I know a lot of it was because you gave them permission. You you know you really emphasized Yeah, that. I actually think that the um the crowding of our room um, is a barrier for people to say, "Hey, I need to oh, go out totally, for prayer." I need totally. to, and then yeah. they have to climb over people mm-hmm. to get out. Uh, yeah. So, just talking about it, I think you're right. Helps us say, "Yeah, let's normalize the fact that people are stuck in the middle of their row and they need to get out for prayer." And, but man, we we have to take steps of courage among when we're with the people of God if we're ever going to take steps of courage out in the real yeah. world, in in acknowledging that I need prayer. And a willingness to walk 20 feet for it is one way to cultivate some courage. Yeah. Yeah, so so people were singing in the overflow. That's awesome. It is. It's super encouraging. Because I never get to see the overflow experience. I don't know. It, it, it's in the worship. Uh, it's in, in the, the welcome, welcome center, center now, right? Yeah. So it's, we've moved it out of the... Yeah. 
uh, conference room. Are people selecting the overflow? Are they preferring I it? I don't know if anybody did this Sunday. I wasn't, okay. I, I wasn't aware of it. But, you know, there is a scenario where the room is too full for some people. Yeah. And they feel... Yeah. Um, claustrophobic. Yeah. Cla- what is it? Claustrophobic. claustrophobic. Yeah. And, uh, well, and my worship style, I don't like being like with an elbow because I keep hitting people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm clearing people out there in worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's throwing <Okay>. bows. <laughs> throwing bows. All right. It's a contact sport for me. Yeah. If somebody next to you's got their hands raised and it's like all up in your face. <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> Is there a, a serious like question? Armpit? What are we? What are we doing here? <laughs> is there a? Um, <laughs> is there a, a, a type of person uh, who actually prefers mm-hmm. coming to church and sitting in an overflow? Oh, is, absolutely. Is there oh, a demographic? The balcony? Is yes. there, well, now, but balcony, you're in the room. I, I'm saying, like, just church wide, not just our church, but in yeah. The, but in there the are. Church. My point is, people are there folks prefer who prefer particular seats? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but are there people that prefer people, to be in it? I think there's certainly people that prefer to kind of be on the periphery a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like when they're checking some stuff out, yeah. just, you yeah. know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we were a little preemptive in setting everything up on Sunday because we knew it was it was family weekend at yeah. Wheaton College. So yeah. there was a lot of parents of Wheaton students who attend here. Yeah. And so I don't know if some people opted for that, like came in the room, came in the church and thought, oh, great, it's already set up. Let's yeah. just go sit there. Maybe. Which is fine. So. Or maybe it's like vacation. You know, Dad, why are we parking so far away? <laughs> first out. <laughs> first out. <laughs> first one's out. <laughs> All right. You know what? I uh, yesterday wrapped up uh, the tours of Poplar Creek Church. So uh, over the month of October on Sunday afternoon, we had tours up at the Poplar Creek campus. A lot of fun. And um, so did the last tour yesterday and just showing people around. I feel encouraged by that. And people, you know, have all types of responses. <laughs> the, the primary response is, oh my gosh, this piece of property is huge. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, compared to what we have here. Yeah. And I always like to say, you know, when the, when our youth guys saw that property, they they started salivating. Yeah. I mean, you could, it, you could park hundreds of cars up there. I mean, you could camp out, you could play a monster game of capture the flag. It's, yeah. it's a great property with great frontage and so I'm super encouraged. It was fun to run those tours in yeah. October. Great. And hey, we had a worship night last night. And uh, man, it was fantastic. We had a great yeah. turnout and people, wow, people. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's face it, if you're coming to a worship night, you're, ready you're, to you're sing. a singer, yeah. right? right. Um, so man, it was loud and expressive. And if people received prayer. I was bummed to miss it. Yeah. Grant told me he got to pray with some he folks. Did. There was so. a lot of prayer going on. Yeah. There was a lot of prayer happening afterwards. Yeah. We set it up a little bit that way. Like, yeah. hey, if you're going to leave, just quietly. Yeah. Right. But if you want to hang out and pray. So it was cool. It was powerful. Yeah, yeah. one more shout out for the weekend. The uh, lock-in Friday night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, junior high lock-in. Yeah, my son went and had so much fun. And I was really worried about the aftermath of like how grouchy he was going to be on Saturday. And <laughs> he survived. Yeah. He did great. So yeah. anyway, thanks to that team. I just saw Blake. He said it was crazy fun. The kids That's loved fun. it. And how many? Hundred and yeah, over well, like 100 and... Something. I don't know. Over yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And the leaders. Yeah. I can't believe Good it. Good peeps. Yeah. Is this your first experience with anything like that? Because I like 
right, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, no, right? No, no, I, I heard the gospel and received the gospel for the first time in a lock-in. Oh, yeah. are you okay. serious? Yeah, yeah, seventh grade. And so I was telling Eli, oh, he was unsure okay. if he wanted to go, and I kept right. saying, I know you have a relationship with the Lord already, but this could be life-changing for kids. So I yeah. just think it'd be great if you went. And he wanted to go, but he was always on the fence. Yeah. That's how he rolls. This is another one of those yeah. Christian subculture things that yeah. I have zero. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll experience it, you know, next year or yeah. the year after, whatever. But I, I don't know anything about it mm-hmm. other than just what I see yeah. on staff and hear. And I was actually sleep happen that they at these still things? Happen. They sleep did, doesn't happen. They right? did. A, a, Are they up all night? Some point in the morning. I think the, four a.m. is what Eli said. Yeah. <laughs> some some crazy. <laughs> they said, "All right, you know, all the lights are going off. Everybody, yeah. sep- you know, the movie's over. We're doing, you know, quiet for the next, you know, until nine when they all got picked up. So. Okay. Yeah. So it starts at it started, it started at, at like six or five thirty. Oh yeah. they, wow! They and it had, goes till nine. Yeah, <laughs> the next morning. Wow! So they had like a big That's pizza intense. party. And people volunteer. Yeah. To do this, they had a big pizza party, and then they loaded up buses and they went to Funway, and they were at Funway for like four hours, and they got they did roller skating and then they did yep. video games. Like you had a uh, what do you? The card, you know, you can. Oh, yeah. So, and you could do like three big games and then unlimited small games and all this stuff. And then they did bowling all together. Yeah. Until like, you know, midnight. And then they take all the buses back here and then they had like, you know, dessert and everybody watched a movie in the gym. And yeah. Izzy was there. She loved it. Had a ton of fun too. So, yeah. When I was 25, I was running the junior high ministry at Global Bible Church and I naively threw a lock in. And didn't think about permission slips or signups. My, my, the junior high group that I was leading max was 50 people. 250 kids showed up. Oh, and kids had lied to their parents and told their parents that they're at their friend's house for the night. And the other friend said, I'm at my friend's house. And they show up here. So parents didn't even know where they were. Oh, my God. This is this is back in the good old days. Nineteen hundred and ninety four. No find my on their phone. No, no, no. They were MIA. Landline. Wow. We're landline in people. That's what's ironic. So two hundred and fifty kids. So I'm on the phone. I was understaffed, didn't have enough adults, calling parents, please come. Please come help. It was chaos. Wow. And yeah, it was chaos. I'm I truly am impressed that that you all do this because it does feel I like never a ran another lock in in my life. Nightmare. But yeah, you did it. You do it. Oh, it's fun. Okay, that's good. good. Yeah, it, grateful. That's but at, at the same time I'm like, wow, I can't believe kids at, in 1994 uh, kids were calling and saying I'm sleeping at this person's house and the other ones I'm sleeping at that person's house oh, to yeah. come to church. Right. I was doing that going other places. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, there were there were all types at the lock in that night. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> All right, let's get into some questions from the sermon. All right, uh, first one. What do you say to people who claim that church is not a, quote, safe place? Not the city of refuge it was meant to be by God, but rather a place of harsh judgment and mean-spirited condemnation. I feel like the world wants us to pretend that sin doesn't exist, and until we are willing to do that, they will continue to label us as judgmental. Yeah, so in Sunday's sermon, I uh, compared the church. I said that the church reminded me of God's provision to ancient Israel of a city of refuge where, where people could run for mercy. And, uh, and I do believe the church is to be that culturally. We're to be the place of grace and mercy, but also truth. And so I would begin by admitting that the church has been ex- 
has been experienced by some as judgmental and mean-spirited. I think we need to admit that. Um, that It makes me sad to admit that, but it's a reality. Christians don't always do a good job of showing the love of God while trying to communicate the truth of God. And so we need to own that. We need to grow. And I, I do think, I think there's a question later on. Uh, I do think Glow Bible Church is continuing to grow in, in that, in showing both truth and love. At the same time, I do, I think it's true that for some, the church is seen as a place of condemnation and judgment because we'll not, we won't say that the Bible affirms their lifestyle. I'm not sure that there's any way around this reality in some cases. We, however, if there is a way around it, if there is a way in which people's condemnation of the scripture's condemnation, follow me there, I mean, pe- people are upset about what scripture says, if there's a way around that, it's found in love. That's what people find convincing. Um, they have to experience us as caring for them, genuinely caring for them, not simply wanting them to agree with us, but loving them regardless of whether or not they ever agree with us, loving them for who they are. And love is con- convincing where debate will never be convincing. Um, love is is most often, when I say love, that can be kind of nebulous, so I, I thought I'd spell it out a little bit. Love it means we're spending time with people. Love means we're listening to people as much as talking at them. And love means we're bearing their burdens. We're sharing in their tears when they're crying. We're sharing in their laughter. So we're, at, we're entering their lives and we're, we're joining them. Not in their sinfulness, but, but really befriending them. And so I do, there may not be a way around it. Some people may never um, be okay with the truth, with God's biblical truth. Um, but if there's a way around it, if we're going to win hearts and minds in this, in today's culture, it's going to be by holding on to the truth and demonstrating love. Do you think it's, it's helpful too for the, <clears throat> the church to sort of own its failings in some degree? Yeah. And I think we've, I think we're seeing more and more, more of that, but Especially the local church. I mean, I'm trying to think of the phrase that you use, like, we're the ark full of sinners, and sometimes the ark stinks or something. Yeah. What's the phrase you use? The sto- Put you on the spot, sorry. Yeah, the storm outside yeah. would be, uh, let's see, the, the, stink, stink, the, stink the stink inside the ark would be unbearable if the storm outside weren't so tumultuous or right. raging. Right, right. I like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to be honest with ourselves that that you put a whole bunch of people <laughs> together a bunch of sinners in yeah. any sort of organized way anything any group any yeah, do rams football yeah whatever it is and there's just dysfunction and there's people who don't there's act brokenness. kindly yeah. and and um you know the church is made up of a whole bunch of volunteer people and you know no one's it's just, it has its its shortcomings, but it's the beautiful bride of Christ. It's what God designed to be the pillar of truth. Mm. And, and so I like it's to, worth fighting for. It's worth the stink it and is. the mess. Yeah. Um, so I love comparing, you know, scripture calls the church, the bride of Christ. He's the groom, we're the bride. 
So it's very popular to criticize the church. I mean, just waylay the church in its shortcomings. And there are lots of shortcomings with the church, but we need to be really careful there. At some point, our critique of the church becomes a critique of its groom, the savior, Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so none of us would go to a wedding and say to the groom, man, your bride is ugly, ugly, man, she's I mean, she's really, really. Yeah. Did you know she does this? And yeah, this right, right. And like this like you're this. crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some you, point, you don't know it. But at you're some crazy. point, critique of the church because it becomes a condemnation yeah. of the Savior, and we need to be really careful there. I, this is a hundred percent my opinion. Over the last four or five years, it feels like the church has done a good job of doing what you're talking about. It's it, not the whole church. It seems like there are a decent amount of Christians who I just. Something I'm perceiving, something I'm sensing. Showing they, love, you mean? Humbled themselves, or, or no, have attacked the church. Like they're Christians, oh, they're 100 yeah, yeah. in. Oh, it's it's. But and, and almost it feels almost like they're, like they're not enjoyment, but I, like it's it's a little vogue to do so. Yeah. In our culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys sense that or feel that at all. It, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I find myself. I found myself battling with it, watching the uh, listening to the Marcel podcast. Oh, yeah. sure. I found myself, you yeah. know, between learning and eating a box of popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big, you know, the deconstruction movement continues to be really popular, deconstructing your faith, you know, sort of doing this. Why, am I, why is my life such a struggle right now? Well, let me do an autopsy on my life, and then I tear apart everything and realize that it was because the church did this, this, this to me, or or whatever it is, or, the, yeah. you know, deconstructing and now in the world that we live in with, you know, everybody's story is equally as important and valid because of social media. Anybody can put anything out there at any time. You know, it's like you said, it's vogue. It's kind of, okay, now here's my time to yeah, beat up the church a little bit. It's a fine line between, you know, figuring out where the church needs to own things and grow and change and just yeah. throwing, throwing it all out. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Then there must be a better way. There must be something we can do that's 100% different. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it here several times, but that's, you know, my argument would be for let's, let's be better small local churches in our communities that sure. impact people rather than trying to be a national church that has yeah. this national influence and all the, it's just it's just ripe for and not that we're, not i'm not talking about glenn Ellen bible church specifically we, there's no national so you're talking about the american church focus generally as yeah. a church yeah. you know if you're if you were listening to this and you were leading a church i would encourage you to focus the most on your local community and getting you know, as many people in the neighborhoods of your community that know Jesus, love Jesus, are caring for other people rather than, you know, trying to seek a national kind of platform and the celebrity stuff and all that is just, it's ripe for. Because it, the truth is, is that a lot of, you know, like, a, like churches like ours take hits because of a big church in our community that has a big, huge failure. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you're part of that whole thing. It's like, <laughs> I hate that, you know? We're not. But yeah. anyway. I've spent a lot of time um, over the last year in particular, I think, just thinking about the tension Kelly was just talking about. Um, and for me specifically about 
the conversation of um, just sexual morality and like how do you come across loving to somebody who doesn't see it as loving unless you agree with them um, and just like how, what like um, you, you're, you're never going to concede you know at least from my point of view like I'm never going to concede the the truth but um, what can I do beyond that <laughs> one of the places I've landed is just tone just my tone with engagement. You know, when we, we were reading this book, well, the staff is reading Messy Grace right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you gave it to a few of us uh, mm-hmm. a while back, and f- I finished it uh, a few weeks ago. And it's just a compelling story. Uh, I was hoping to find a lot of answers yeah. for this specific, <laughs> because this dude is walking in yeah, it. Yeah. His, he's a pastor and has... Stringer? No, oh, this is a, Grace. Uh, Caleb Kaltenbach. Uh, Col- yeah. Kaltenbach? Yeah. He was raised by... Uh, uh, born into a obviously a heterosexual marriage, his parents divorce and both go into same sex relationships. Very unique. So right. he's and he's he, a pastor. He's now an evangelical pastor. And he talks about being raised in the gay pride movement. Yeah. So I was I was like combing through that book, like please give me some answers on it. <laughs> but I think what I came away with was uh, most of all was just tone, posture, like, yeah, posture, tone. Like man, because think about it when you say something hard to somebody. You can control a little bit of how it can be received just by mm-hmm. how you say it, and I think that's mm-hmm. where the love piece comes in. And I don't know; that's just some, yeah. something I've been thinking about lately. Simone, I got a direct question for okay. you. Tell me, uh, the women you work with how how do they receive the church? Mm-hmm. How are they received in the church? Mm. Two very different yeah. answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me start with the second part first. There are churches that we would never bring mm-hmm. women at Naomi's house to. And and for those listeners that are unaware, what tell us really quickly about your work and who Yeah, you- no, so we we work with women who have been sexually exploited and trafficked. Um they have been in prostitution for decades a lot of times before they enter into our services. So we have a residential program and in the residential program we take our women to church every Sunday. Um, and there are, a sh- it's a short list of churches in the area that we'll take our women to. And it's for a number of reasons. Um, we don't want them to have a spotlight on them when they enter mm-hmm. in a church service. Um, women have, are on all different degrees of their healing journey. So some still from the outside appearance look uh, look rough. They look like they've been homeless and they have been. And so there's, there's that. And so, um, that is part of their healing. I mean, literally as their hair and skin and things that have been neglected are healing Mm -hmm. their, their physical appearance transforms through, through programming. So, um, it's hard to find a church where you're in this community where you're not going to look super different when you walk in. And so that's one thing. Um, and then we also, what you're explaining, Matt, the tone, it, and we talked about this, Kelly, even before the podcast, this balance between owning your sin and also um, approaching the throne of grace. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard place to be, if, especially if you've been victimized, like you talked about in the um, sermon yesterday, involuntary manslaughter and liking that too. How much responsibility do you have? in what happened in different scenarios. So in our case, that's a question that they wrestled with for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not like an answer you get 
and you figure it out. You're wrestling with how much of this is my fault and how much of this had, did I have no agency over. So finding a church that welcomes that journey as opposed to a very rigid, hard and fast, black and white. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, mm-hmm. I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's also. Church, uh, churches need to give people room to figure out uh, where they've sinned yeah. and when they've been sinned against. Yes. And in the women you care for, that, that wrestling takes some time. Mm-hmm. It, that is so well said. That's exactly right. It takes some time. Um, it's, it's two steps forward. It's one step back. You, you know, know, my wounds aren't near the wounds, these ladies, but at the age, ripe old age of 54, I'm still sorting through <clears throat> how, ha- how was my family of origin uh, destructive, and then or how, did, how was I victimized, and that's brought us into the world, and then sure. how, how did I victimize myself? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and, it's a. I was. I told you already. I was contemplating this on a deep level yesterday, and how much do we take ownership versus how much do we just receive grace, and how the how do those two go together? And I loved the the picture of the city of refuge. I'm like, is this? Did they get that freedom in these cities of refuge to figure that out? Um, and and the idea of the church mm-hmm. being a place where that can happen, where that can be safe, I think is 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 so important and. Since you asked, not all churches in this area lend itself to that. There's mm-hmm. different streams, right, of worship and how people. All right. So question, I'm looking, question number three, the question number four is how does GBC do? I'm not going to put you on the spot now, oh, but I want you to tell us how we do. <laughs> but I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> but you, I'll put you on the spot in about 15 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> This is your preemptive on the spot putting. Well, the fact that you would put me on the spot goes to show you how this church. Did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just probably I'm probably. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go to the next one. While Simone thinks mm-hmm. and stews, uh, what can we do to help the church be a city of refuge? I hate that some people have a negative experience when coming to church and want everyone to feel loved. We do want people to feel God's love. Um, I want to say we don't really have the power to make people feel something. So let's be really careful <laughs> there um, that we don't become manipulative. Right. Like, oh, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel loved. Well, I don't. I've gotten caught in those bad cycles before. Oh. And so I want to just personally mm-hmm. avoid that. We do have the power to be loving. and And so... Let's focus on being loving. Let's, and I mentioned earlier, let's, let, let's give people our time. Let's uh, share our resources. Let's, let's listen to people rather than simply talking at them. Um, let's bear their burdens. Let's enter in. When, when they're crying, let's enter into their pain and let's cry with them. That's, that's loving. It's patient. It's kind. Um, and I think demonstrated over time... Um, It'll be convincing. Um, you mentioned a while ago, Matt, that sometimes people are offended by the gospel. And it's true they are. Sometimes I'm just offensive. Mm. And I need to be honest with myself. I need to be, have some perspective. It, did the gospel offend them? 
that they're sinful in need of a, a sin sacrifice. They cannot earn their way to heaven. They can't be good enough for God. Is that offensive? Or am I offensive in the way I present it, my tone, posture, that type of thing? So one of the things that I have focused on, and, and really this has been in the last few years, I have come to the realization that I am not the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds stupid, uh, but pastors can get themselves in a situation where they want to produce certain outcomes. We, we want to see growth, transformation, that type of thing. And that, that, tempta- or that pressure or desire, even when it's positive, can, we can easily move towards manipulation. So I've stopped focusing on the changes I want to see in others. And I spend a majority of my time thinking about, Lord, what change do you want in my life? Um, so just letting the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives and not trying to produce particular outcomes. I really think people can sense that. So the question, what can we do to help the church be a city of refuge? Is just receiving people, trusting that the Spirit is caring for people. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I, uh, here, I feel like people sense when we have agendas that drive our relationship with them. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that comes out even more so if it's done in a programmatic way from the platform or whatever. Often, you know, people say, I wish the church, I wish the church would be more like this. And I always, you know, oh yeah, you want to listen to that. Cause there's certain, certainly like a, 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 a a flavor, a mission and vision that the leadership of the church gives to this body to where we're going, right? There's programmatic things to do. But in large part, people's experience with the church is who they're sitting with in the pew, who they're in small group with. Like, if you want to see, like, I wish our church would be more friendly. Well, the leadership of the church, Yeah. yeah, we have to own some of that. But in large part, it's it's the average Joe. It's the average, like the church is a living, breathing organism made up of all these people, of all people. Yeah. And again, certainly the leadership, leadership of the church has a ton of influence and ownership and all that. But if you want people to be, if you want your church to be more friendly, start being more friendly. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, sorry. no, go. That's it. That's there, how you lead. You're right. That's all I got. There's some, <laughs> there's some level of, if you're coming to church with, you know, your, what like glad you know what am I trying to say like you're you're inspecting you're yeah. coming to like looking for something yeah you're looking for something you're yeah. ready to criticize or make judgment you're gonna find it <laughs> I hope yeah. you brought I mean, a long piece right, of paper exactly exactly <laughs> long so list. as per usual I'm thinking about people in my life who are not believers and if they come to church with us there's almost like a you want to give them a little pep talk like listen come <laughs> as you are and know that you're gonna see people that have been rude to you or um you have had a run-in you know like there, there's likely going to be yeah. some hypocritical people or, or experiences um that's just you just can't avoid it but if you're coming to church to meet with god mm-hmm. that that means you know that's between you and him and if your heart is soft he will meet you that is a prayer that he will answer if you're mm-hmm. asking to see him and, and, and know him he wants to meet that but if you're coming to to see if there's going to be people in the room who disappoint you you don't even have to come that you can just know that's going to happen. 
Um, so there's some level of ownership to the person who's coming and, mm. and what they're looking to get out of it. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, and, and to what John was saying, at, at the same time, there's, uh, there's, there are situations where people who voice those frustrations that maybe, you know, the church isn't being kind enough or not um, gracious enough or whatever, um, where that person making the critique is bringing their A-game every Sunday. And they yeah. are, they already are. And they're looking out, seeing like, you know, uh, a decent amount of people just checking out right after church and getting their coffee and leaving and they're frustrated. And that, in that case, then that person comes to church leadership and says, Hey, I'm seeing a problem. Are you guys seeing it? And mm. then the church leaders step into it. And, and we've had this happen sure. in the last year. We've On had any it happen number of issues. Where it's like, yeah. Oh, you know what? And then we, we inspect and we look at what we're doing and yeah. we evaluate and we go, you know what? We could do this better. Yeah. And then we make changes. Yeah. So yeah. there's, it's both and right. Yeah. It is. For sure. Without a doubt. Uh, okay, next one. Uh, is the death penalty, life for life, a law that America should put in place for those who commit murder? Wow. I thought we'd get this answer. <laughs> I, I get this question. It already is a law in some places, right? Yeah. Right, some states, right. It's a state's issue. Yeah, it's a state's issue. And Although uh, the, federal, it's you, the federal government... Yeah, I'm not, I know that uh, Illinois does not put people to death and Texas does. Right, but the... It's no surprise. It's a law. At the federal government. The, the federal government. There's a, the death penalty is legal in the United States. Yes. Right. Right. And and I think the, the federal, federal government gov- protects the ability for the states, the states to, choose. to choose or something yes. like that. And I do look think, at look at us trying know, to figure out how our government works. <laughs> Oh. Let's talk about it theologically then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very very um, astute of you. No, like, you know, if it's clearly okay in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah. How do you guys think and feel about it now? Like, well, so all I could do is jot down, <clears throat> jot down questions that need to be answered <laughs> before I would render my personal opinion. So I, I need to confess it's not something I feel studied up on. So here are three questions that I would want answered before I had an opinion to offer publicly. Number one: Does Genesis nine six? it's actually talking about life for life. It's it's the rendering of the law, the earliest rendering of the law, and it's in the context of Noah. So it's it's in uh, a part of Noah's day. It's it's before the selection of Abraham and the covenant with Abraham. So does Genesis 9, 6 apply to all humanity because we're all Noah's descendants? Or was that given solely to Israel and it was the life for life um, mandate. So that's the first question I have, <laughs> and I'm not offering a conviction there. The second question is, does the death of Christ in the requirement for blood recompense or sacrifice for sin? So the notion of life for life is it's, um, it's got a blood element to it. You spill blood, your blood will be spilled. It's, it's got a, um, a payment element to it. Um, and so, and I kind of find, find myself wondering if, if Christ's blood answers that. Um, anyway, and then the, the last one, what do we do with the fact that some well-known biblical figures, people, committed did, murder, committed and, murder and, and got off scot-free, it appears, like Cain. Yeah. Cain didn't lose his life, and God was the one dealing with Cain when he took Abel's uh, life. Yeah. So Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. They didn't lose their lives. So Paul, we see some sort Paul, of... Paul 
Paul oversaw, orchestrated. Oversaw murder. <laughs> right. So I just, I, I do think Romans 13 tells us that the state has the prerogative the state, the, the government has the prerogative, the biblical prerogative mandate to, to administer law, to restrain chaos and evil. So I, I could see where it would be within the purview of governments to either be for or against capital punishment. But these, these questions are outstanding for me. How mm-hmm. about y'all? So interestingly enough, in high school, uh, we had to do a project on a controversial like topic. So like somebody did abortion, like these political topics yeah. into like a Christian high school. And I had to work on this project. Ours was the death penalty. Ooh. And so people argue for the death penalty, argue for or against it. But people say, you know, one, it's, uh, it's cheaper rather than keeping somebody alive for all that period okay. of time. Wrong answer. I'm, di- <laughs> I'm, just, just, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving you the arguments. I can already feel my so heart beating fast. If, if you, I know, just wait a second, Simone. There is an argument that if you're just going to keep the person locked up, the, I'm, I'm not saying this is true, but this is the argument. It's more humane and more cost effective to I hear you, John. punish that, per, take that person's life. Uh, the second argument is that um, it causes relief for victims, that they have closure, eye for eye. They have closure on the situ- situation. Um, and so, you know, like, it makes, it makes them, you know, the situation... It brings situation some better. amount of peace. Yes. Or the justice. third one is that it's a crime deterrent, that less people will commit crime because they might die, and the government will kill them if they commit those those types of crimes. Well, in all those cases, the research that we did showed that none of that is actually true. It's actually more expensive to legislate through the appeals process a death. A death. Hmm. So it's cheaper just lock them away. To lock them away. Feed them and lock. Whether that's humane or not, I'm not, you know, but to fight to get through the whole appeals process to actually lethally inject someone is is way more expensive because of all the legal proceedings. They also research would show that people don't have a sense of closure, victims' rights, and a sense of closure in the way that you would think or hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's, it's certainly not a crime deterrent. I mean, yeah. the type of crimes that are committed that cause you to face the death penalty are most likely crimes that those people are going to commit. Mm-hmm. You know, mass school shootings, yeah, the, serial murder. The best deterrent to crime is, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep my right. mouth shut. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, it's, a, it's not a locked, it's not a shut case. It's not like it, yes, we, sh- it, you know, we shouldn't have it, or yes, we should have it, or, or, or whatever. I think You're saying sociologically, it's, it doesn't appear to be a good solution. R- right. If, if those are your... The economics of it. Right. There is a justice element... Hmm. And a, and a social organizing element that appeals to people. It makes some, it feels like the right thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And, and then you can go back to the Old Testament and say, well, that's how God set it up, that in, a, in these societies to keep order, to, to have a high value of justice, if you took a life, then your life would be taken, done. And so perhaps there is some value there. I don't know. I'm not, 
I honestly have not really <laughs> since that time. I don't think I, I was like, this is your high school. I don't think I've, re- I've really spent a whole lot of time thinking about this, uh, this at all. But I raise it to say, just like you did, Kelly, with the text, like maybe it isn't as, as, uh, there are questions to be, yeah, answered. there's questions yeah. to be answered in, in, in all of it. So, and you don't hear a lot of people. It, remember, a few years ago, it was a big issue. Yeah, it kind of waxes and, and wanes. It kind of waxes and wanes. Yeah. It, like it, it, you know. It. Um, let's skip to. Let's skip to the. Yeah. To Simone's. a movie recommendation. Oh, oh Simone, Simone, do you have something? No, on? I don't. Nobody. Were you going to talk about Dead Man Walking? Yes, Dead Man Walking. I do. Do you, what? I do. Oh, okay. I just wanted to share. Um, you know, I am a Christian. <laughs> I'm an American. I have opinions, and I vote. And more times than not, I, I lean towards more conservative stuff, uh, but like I'm independent. Like I, I try to think for myself, whatever. I, this is one of those issues where I don't side with the conservatives. Like I, I'm not comfortable with the death penalty. Hmm. Um, a lot of conservatives are, would say the same. Sure, right, right. I know it's not a, you know. Especially Christian conservatives, which is funny. Yeah. But we have a high value for a second chance. Yeah, we have a there, high value to put somebody and for life. For life, that's yeah. one of them. But you know what? My number one reason is because we're not perfect. Yeah, yeah. the mistake. Who would want to make a mistake here? Oh my gosh! And I get it. Like sometimes you you watch a case and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so obvious. But man, I just I'm just not comfortable with that yeah. kind of finality based on a process that we came up with. I just you know. Yeah. And we we know with without it. a doubt that mistakes have been made. It, right. Our government has right. has both locked up people yes. indefinitely yes. and put them to death, and yes. they were not At guilty. At least if there's a life sentence, there's a possibility that the truth, the truth could be uncovered, out. and you, you we've seen that happen. Yeah, there's a reversal. And it's really sad when the person is you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, but right. at least there's still that chance. I don't know. I just, I've not been comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel the the need to like lobby against it either. Like I'm not, like it's not this major right. passion point of mine that I'm going to like, right. die, you know, fight for yeah. the rest of my life. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I would be a hundred percent fine if every state was, didn't do it. Yeah. Simone, did you have something? <laughs> I don't know what I want to say. I, I think what makes me uncomfortable with it is, is those who, don't have the resources to represent themselves. Mm-hmm. And that has been, I, yeah. I, I don't know this. Well it's a proven enough. factor. I mean, I feel like it is. I don't want to. I don't want to like hang my hat on it. But I feel like people who are misrepresented, misrepresented, and are sentenced to life without a fair trial, those types of things. I that feels like that's the history of the death penalty by and large. I don't know how true that is, but that's what my initial take is. And um, again, the the idea of a second chance, and a lot of times, it's more. It's more than just a second chance. It's a third chance, a fourth chance. Yeah. Mm, true. Um, but I don't know. I, why would we limit what God? God has no limit to who He will save and what He will do in someone's life. So, have you guys seen the movie Dead Men Walking? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Which one was that? Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Yeah. Oh. That's Susan Sarandon. Is that the eighties? Nineteen ninety-five. Okay. It's a. I would highly recommend the recommend the movie. It is rated R. It's rated R because there is a sex crime committed and mm. it, there are flashbacks that are part of the sex crime and then there is a murder. So, but it's a true story. Yeah. And then there yeah. is a companion book. Uh, the woman that was victimized and her victimization is portrayed in the movie. She wrote a book forgiving the dead man walking. She's a person of faith, Christian faith. So 
if you if you have the stomach to watch a very difficult movie, it's fascinating to see a Catholic nun interact with somebody on death row in the back and forth. And then there's a there's a a reference to Christ at the end of the movie, and you're left wondering, did he understand? Um, so I don't want to ruin it, uh, but th- there is some beautiful dialogue about the nature of forgiveness and the importance of confession. And then you could read the, the follow-up book, Forgiving the Dead Men Walking, and, and hear the journey of a woman who was victimized, traumatized in just horrific ways, and, and how she's learned to forgive. So it's good stuff. And the, a recent Or you resource. could just walk... Watch Shawshank Redemption. Okay, what? (laughs) (laughs) Just Mercy, the book and Uh movie, are also a great resource just to understand our justice system and its flaws. And isn't there a? I don't know enough about the story, but um, he he just a person connected with the story just spoke at Wheaton College on the Emmett Till. Yeah, Emmett Till story. Mm. They it's just coming out, right? Yeah, Yeah. movies just coming out. It's about somebody who is. He was wrongly convicted, yeah. and, the, and then they, he was put to death. Mm. And then it later came out, the truth came out, and he was like, like a 14-year-old kid. Uh, and horrible story. It's a horrible story. Right. Yeah. And, um, On both ends, you're saying. The kid dies, he's 14, and someone's wrongly convicted for it? No. no. Okay. He was convicted and killed of and didn't, didn't commit do. the crime yes. as a 14-year-old. Oh, right. I thought was, I was thought him fourteen or something. Like yes, but I thought he died of veg, kind of vigilant. Oh, he was lynched. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. I, I think the movie just came out or something it, like that. It's and coming out. Yeah. So his best friend, who is a pastor of a church, spoke at his best friend wow. growing up. He's an older man now. Spoke at Wheaton College this and week. Is, oh wow! Is there any value in mentioning that the Old Testament references an eye for an eye, but Jesus says? Turn the other cheek. Yeah, the 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 difficulty there is the is the commission or the the directive to turn the other cheek an individual ethic or a corporate right. the public ethic that governments are to uh, embrace and and the, so yeah, that's a tricky one. It's interesting. The law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, life for life. The Old Testament, ironically, is not filled with stories of gouging out eyes and cutting off limbs. <laughs> so back, let's end on this. The truth be told, eye for eye, tooth for tooth was a radical, ancient limiter. Because in the ancient world is, if you take my eye, I'm going to open a can of hurt on you. And I'm going to take whatever I can from you. So don't touch me. You know, it had the... Like the, the revenge, the retribution would be like tenfold. Oh, yeah. And so this is, what you're saying is this is actually a... It's a limiter. Yeah. And you see that there is lots of mercy in the Old Testament. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, I, finally, <laughs> the mo- one of the most sobering things when, was when I was in Saudi Arabia. And I think, I think I've probably shared this before, but um, walking through the airport, uh, walking by the Air France kiosk, and it, they had their Air France sign, and then underneath it, it said... Um, possession of drugs in this country is illegal. Mm. Punishment is death. There you have Just it. Just right there. Yeah. Air France. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> Good to know. Noted. Hey, are you flying Air, are you flying Air France today? Matt, hey, Matt, why would you be so concerned about carrying drugs internationally? 
Well, hey, I was with my band. I did. I didn't present a problem, but I was with six other dudes. And you're like, and hey. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know. But, yeah. Long before you were a believer, I assume. And no, I w- I was a believer at that time. Oh. I think I was just kind of coming into it. Coming that was 2006. In? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But man, sobering man. Uh, okay. Uh, so here's that fourth question. <laughs> so hopefully, Simone, you've been doing your work. Um, how do you feel GBC does as a city of refuge, a safe place where sinners run for care? How can we do better at this in your view? Simone. <laughs> well, the first thing I want to say is Anthony and I would not be members of a church. <laughs> right. I was <laughs> hoping Participating, that. you know, in the yeah, in I the figured as much, yeah. yeah. If, if there was a conflict oh, yeah. here by any means. So... Can I just can that be my answer? Yeah, that's, answer. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think we do a fair job in some ways, and I think we can we have lots of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just I'll share with this. We uh, the toxicness of the internet sometimes makes its way into the church Wait, world. <laughs> so you know the church has a web page and you know you can find directions to the church on Google and we have a Google you know we have all these things that, as a entity a, in the yep. community and all that kind of stuff well that opens you up to be reviewed oh. as well you can have people put in a review of your church which i know there's been some comedic videos that have come out about church reviews and all that <laughs> you can so so somebody can give us five stars awesome worship you know five stars great you know kids programming or whatever, or they can give you a one star and say something like, that church is full of yuppies. That, that, I'm thinking right. that's an actual comment. That's an actual comment. <laughs> yeah. That's a real comment. Oh, that hurt your heart, John. No, I just, I'm just saying that, you know, there are perceptions and reviewing of our church that, yeah. that happens. And one person, whether it's just them or others, have had that person, you know, have, have one, have come, have seen and experienced it to that level so much so that they felt compelled to let others know on the internet <laughs> about their experience. Yeah. So I kindly replied, I would love for you to give us another chance, you know, something to that effect. And there's lots of different people that go to Glenna Bible Church and sorry that that was your experience or something like that. And turns out they deleted their review and... They never really responded, but that, that happens not a lot, but a few times a year, people have a, a poor experience, not, who knows what's going on in their life. Yeah. Was yeah. that so, a bad experience, though? It, I don't. <laughs> or they're just looking it, around it, going. It, it, it clearly was not a good experience right, right. for them, like, whether it's true, honest, I don't know. Nobody I don't, don't uses really the word yuppie anymore. I don't really care. You know, they could yeah. have come and seen, uh, you know, an ex-boyfriend from high school or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. And just n- n- had a bad day. My point in all of it is that, you know, people have perceptions and mm-hmm. they voice them and um, things, um, some things we can't change. Yeah, yeah. Some share- things we can't change about who we are and how we present ourselves and other things we can. Yeah. As you share that story, on my heart is just wanting to remind us all that Sunday morning is most definitely a time to receive. We receive uh, from one another, but it's also a time of ministry. We, mm. uh, as we're able, we should show up to Sunday morning ready to 
care for others, not simply be cared for through song and sermon and kids ministry, but it, we should, we should at some level show up to be a blessing to others. And I think, you know, there are folks, uh, every week, uh, checking out who Jesus is and making judgments on Jesus based on these people. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to be ready to go and care. So the question was, how do we do? I think I'm with John. We can grow. Uh, I'm encouraged overall. I think the care center and the coat drive of recent, but uh, I think of our partnerships with Naomi's house uh, that stretches us to be empathetic and to grow an understanding about what real transformation is needed. I think the adult baptisms of two weeks ago uh, really mark a moment for me as uh, these women, these young women, uh, adult young women, uh, feel comfortable enough in our community to get up and talk about their need for forgiveness of sin and salvation. And, and I found that hugely encouraging. I think the Restore group that's being run on, on Thursday nights for men, men can talk about um, sin, sinful entanglement, uh, historic wounds, um, that's encouraging to me. Uh, I lead a group uh, for parents of LGBTQ children. Uh, my middle daughter identifies as uh, bisexual, and so I run a group, and there's about, um, I think there's 10 or 12 parents in the group from our congregation, and it's just a great time of support and encourage and cheering one another on to uh, to care for our kiddos. And, um you know, a decade ago, that wouldn't have been available at Glowing Bible Church. Um, so really excited about some of the movement. I, You know, our youth group has really has a front row seat and opportunity to show love uh, to um, people on the margins and oftentimes in a way that adult ministries doesn't. And I'm super encouraged by uh, how welcoming our youth ministry is and caring it is. So... All right, let's go to the last one. Was Ruth and Boaz really a romance story? <laughs> yeah. This beautiful romantic story. I don't think I said it that <laughs> way. Boaz just swept her out of I didn't say it that way. The whole way. nation of Israel. <laughs> have, you got, have you guys seen Yay. The Notebook? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've never even seen it. I just know that that would be funny. giving you a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it was a love story. I think we could... New I, romance is a stretch. So if I said that in second service, it was overstatement. I, I, I want to say it was a beautiful, powerful, this is what I have written in my sermon, beautiful, <laughs> powerful story of redemption. Yes. If I said love or romance in second service, it was, <laughs> I got carried away. Um, <laughs> we all do. The Disney movies are yeah. powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every woman needs a man to save her. It's fine. It's right there in the Bible. Yeah. So that's sarcasm, listeners. <laughs> She's not being serious. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful story of what is called covenantal love. And we see, which is, you know, the biblical word is hesed. It's in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Boaz treats Ruth and Naomi with kindness. And the word is hesed. It's this covenantal care, which has a lot of legal implications. He's taking on their their difficulties. He's going to care for them. And that is sacrificial. It is, you know, Christ-like in that sense. But to, um, yeah, you weigh in. You, you guys go. T- tell me about your concerns if, if, we're, if we're not careful, <laughs> if we're not careful how we describe this relationship. I sent a 
15 point podcast series to John Kerry. I was like, and here's why it's not a love story. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, no major concerns. It's, it's, I think you already said it. The, the hero of the story is God mm-hmm. and how he provided for Ruth and Naomi who were at the bottom of their society, yeah. of their culture. Yeah. They In a were terribly vulnerable situation. Left to die. Right. right? Yeah. And how God in his faithfulness restores them and brings them into his family at large through Boaz and Boaz is you. And Boaz has, is a man of great character. I don't think he should be, he's not, he's a, in my opinion, he's a a secondhand part of the story. The greater story is God providing for Ruth and Naomi. And there's, it's, it's, you know, obviously uh, Ruth was a Moabite and she Mm. was, um, widowed and barren. She didn't have any children. And, uh, and, you know, Ruth is faithful to her and, you know, lets her stay with her. There's so many implications of why this story is powerful. And I just don't think the, the main narrative is mm-hmm. Boaz and Ruth had this romantic. I mean, she, well, I said she proposed to him. You weren't, you maybe didn't agree with that, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I, I think you could say that uh, there are some indications that uh, some commentators want to say that Ruth seduced Boaz, that you could say proposed would be one way uh, to say it. Um, so I think, yeah, the, I think the caution in it is, um, is that we look at the story from our American kind of yeah. perspective, Disney. which is we were all just joking about when, yeah. we, when we opened it up, right? That it's, you know, this beautiful Moabite woman who walks in and their eyes meet and it's this, you know, man who sweeps her off her feet and take, yeah. takes her in and does all that, you know, and it's, I, I think that's an Americanized reading, reading of yeah. the story. And, um, and we just, we need to be careful with that. I think the story is much more transactional mm-hmm. in the human relationship side of it that's happening and much more about uh, God's care of mm-hmm. Ruth and Naomi. Marginalized. I, I don't think you. I think the question came up just because we. Yeah. You it's know, good. How, however, you stated. I, I think. I the love point the caution. Got through, Go ahead. Yeah. The I point lo- you made got through clearly. I love the caution not to read our American cultural setting back into the text, mm-hmm. and and actually we need to use the text to address our cultural setting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, a a takeaway that could have unintentionally been heard or interpreted is that your life isn't complete until marriage and there is a um or you're not your your needs won't be provided for until marriage and that is just something that the church can do a better job reminding that you know reminding people that marriage does not complete you Hmm. and um it isn't the end-all be-all goal of sanctification is to get married and maybe far down the list of implications that could have been taken from saying it was a romance story, but it could be a stretch. Your point was made. That's important. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better. 
strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in on the next level. Prophecy.